For the last few years, I've been taking part in a uh, medical uh, research thing, because obviously I'm a medical marvel and people are so fascinated <laughs> by me. Um, but every year I have a mammogram, and every year I have a mammogram, I have to give blood. And they are, I don't know what they're looking for, but they seem to enjoy taking my blood. So two weeks ago was my time to go for these two wonderful events, and I made my way off to City Hospital, got there early. I thought, okay, I'll take a book with me, I'm going to be sitting there for a long while. Uh, they called me immediately, I'm like, gosh. Saw me immediately, did the first bit, the mammogram, and then a lady, a nurse came to uh, walk with me and said, right, I'm going to take you over to the, um, oh, what's the blood department called? <laughs> Lobotomy. <laughs> it's lobotomy when they remove your brain. Okay. I think I've already had that. So, I got taken to the blood department with this lovely nurse. And in her hand, she had these massive um, vials. Are they called vials that they put your blood in? They weren't like your normal little ones, but they were these massive fat ones. I'm thinking, oh, this could be interesting. And so we get there, and, and she introduces me to this lovely nurse who tells me that she's done the wards this morning. She's already done 40 patients, so she's raring to go. And um, I say, oh, I'm not very good at things like this. Please just don't show me anything. Please just don't talk to me about it. Talk to me about anything, but I don't want to know what's going on. So she goes, right, okay, puts my arm in the thing, puts that thing around there, fist and all of this lot. And... Um, off she goes. So I'm thinking, this is going okay, we're all right. It's freaking me out now. We're all right, we're all right, there's not a problem. And uh, we've been going on a while, and I'm getting a little bit more stressed. And a uh, bit of a hot flush, you know, woman of a certain age getting a little bit stressed. And the nurse that's with me, that's uh, wanting all this blood out of me, can see that I'm getting a little bit stressed and starts to have this inane conversation with me that I really don't want to be having because I'm a little bit stressed and panicked. And she's asking me, oh, do you have a dog? Do you have this lot? And I don't really want to be talking about this. And then I say, oh, are we nearly done? Are we nearly done? And the nurse goes, oh, gosh, no, my love. We've only filled two of them up. And this, <laughs> this nurse wants me to fill them right up. Oh, my life. So I'm, I'm there. Mm, don't talk to me, I don't want to talk to you about my dog. And I start feeling really sick. And I go a little bit white and I think, I'm going to faint. I'm actually going to faint. And the nurse that is Dracula getting the blood out of me, who's lovely, she says, are you all right, my love? I'm, like, I'm going to be sick, I'm going to be sick. I'm, I'm going to faint, I'm going to faint. And um, she goes, hold it. She pulls the thing out of me, runs off, comes back with one of those bowler hats. And... Um, <laughs> and some water, and says, right, put your head between your legs. If you're going to be sick, be sick in there, and try and sip some, some water. Have you ever tried to, like, drink out of a bottle as you... <sighs> I'm feeling terrible. It makes absolutely no difference. I'm like, I, I really actually am going to faint, and I can feel all the blood leaving my head and stuff. And she's like, have you had breakfast this morning? I said, no, I never normally have breakfast at all. She goes, right, run off. All the time, this lovely nurse is still talking to me about flipping dogs, and I'm like, <laughs> shut up. So I'm about to pass out, and she comes, and she gives me this little tissue. In the tissue are two of those Maryland cookies. You know, they're about that big. They're really, really small. And um, she's like, eat those. I'm like, I'm going to be sick. Eat them. Okay. 
And so I eat them. And I have to tell you, within about a minute, my body was like, oh, sugar. And if you look at me, my body knows what sugar's like. And I tell you, it's got a little bit of a taste for it. And within a few minutes, these little Maryland cookies, just for the video, there are other cookies available. These little cookies completely transformed me. I stopped feeling sick. I stopped feeling faint and was able to move from the chair because I was holding up a queue of about 20 people that needed to get into the chair and give blood, walked into another room and began to feel like my old self again. Like, wow, two Maryland cookies. Look at the effect that they had on me. And I reflected on that. And I've been reflecting on it for the past two weeks, thinking something so small, something so simple, made such a profound difference in my life. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if you could eat cookies and it gave you a real sense of confidence and peace and affirmation in your life and in your relationship with God, that it gave, with God, that it gave you that extra oomph to be able to be and to do everything that he wanted you to be and to set you free from all of those things that you feel trapped by. I thought, Kath, you're an absolute muppet. You don't need a Maryland cookie. We've got the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I was berating myself, sitting on my bed thinking, what is wrong with you? You're a church leader and you're thinking about cookies and we've got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so these two weeks, I've been reflecting on the wondrous gift that we have of the Holy Spirit. And as I was preparing for this evening, I had a real, real sense that there are things that God wants to do this evening. I have a real sense that there are people who are maybe struggling, maybe struggling with a sense of self-identity, struggling not feeling good enough, or struggling in different areas of their lives and just need a touch of God to set them free. And I really feel that God is here. And I really feel that there are people that God wants to powerfully meet with this evening, to bless, to love, to set free, to empower, to equip, to speak over, to bring hope and to bring life to. And that excites me. If you were to ask me what would my parting message be, what is on my heart, my heart is always that people would know that Jesus loves them and that people would be set free to be the people that they have been created to be. That is my passion for people. That is on my heart. And that is what I believe God wants us to explore tonight. And we're going to do so by looking at a character in the Bible. We find this character Gideon in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament focuses predominantly on a group of people called the Israelites. And uh, they are a bunch of ordinary people like us. Sometimes they do wonderfully. Other times they stuff up amazingly as well. They're just ordinary, everyday people. You may remember we've talked before about Moses and how this group of people were in captivity. And God calls Moses and they're led out of captivity towards the promised land. Moses doesn't make it into the promised land with them, but they finally make it into the promised land, this land that God has set aside from them, free from oppressors. Now, the problem with the Israelites is that they settle in a little bit too well, because not only do they enjoy themselves, but they take on the culture of those around them. They get submerged in it, and not just the culture, the idols and the other gods. 
And they begin to worship other things other than God. They begin to lose sight of him and turn their back on him. And God lets them because that's what God is like. God doesn't control them. God allows each of us to have freedom of choice. And so he lets them make their own choices and their own decisions. And then as they are in this place doing their own thing, another nation comes in and starts stealing from them, a nation that is far more powerful than they are. And so they find themselves in a place where they are fearful, where they are being robbed, and eventually, eventually they cry out to God to help them. And so God hears their cries, and Kate's going to come and bring a reading, and we're going to hear a little bit about God's rescue plan and how God chooses a guy called Gideon to bring about their rescue. Thanks, Kate. So Judges 6, verse 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has this all happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength you have. Gain the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I am not sending you. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The lord answered, I'll be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Okay, she's going to stand there for a moment, because we see this guy, Gideon, is called by God. God wants to use him to bring freedom and to rescue the Israelites. And like most of us, he's a little bit incredulous. He's like, what, me? God, you want, you, you want to use me? And it reminded me of the whole God calling uh, Moses at the burning bush. Moses came up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And if you read on in the next little chunk of this part of Scripture, Gideon does exactly the same. There are reasons why, oh, I'm not sure that I can do this. Would you give me a sign? Would you prove to me? Is this all going to be okay? And we have Gideon laying down his fleece. So there's this whole interaction between him and God. It isn't just a sense of God says go and Gideon says yes, great. But Gideon's taken aback, well me? And so there's this whole discourse and we get to the point where Gideon's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. And then we get to the point where God says, okay, so we're going to go into battle and we're going to select the people that I am going to use to fight in the battle. And Kate's going to read on for us. So Judges 7, 1 to 8. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morai. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will send them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. 
So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Kate. This is just a really incredible story. This is God trying to make a point. So he calls Gideon, and we'll come on to Gideon in a moment, and we'll look at him and his calling, and we'll look at some of the similarities between Gideon and us. But what I love about this passage is that God's got a point to prove. God wants to teach them a lesson. God wants to show them that if you put your trust in him, he is mighty, that there is nothing that he cannot do, that though they are up against a mighty foe, a foe that they are incredibly scared of, a foe that has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of soldiers, God says, do you know what? I'm going to send you to battle with 300 because I want to make a point, because I want to show you that actually, when you think about it humanly, how do you defeat another army? Well, you have one that's more powerful. You have more weapons. You have more people. But God's like, that's not what's important. What's important is that you do my will, you do it with me, and you do it in my strength. And when you do it in my strength, all things are possible. And there's this theme throughout the whole of Scripture that God uses the weak. God uses the lowly. God doesn't use the proud. God doesn't use the mighty and the strong. But actually, his power is made perfect through weakness. And so there's this picture that God is painting through this battle. That actually the 300 do go on to defeat this mighty, mighty conqueror. And the glory is given to God because they could not have done it in their own strength. And I want to encourage us today that maybe there are things in our lives that seem massive. Things that are going on that we think, I don't know how I can move on from this or how I can sort it or how I can do it. With God, nothing is impossible. God can do all things. And so we're going to look at Gideon and we're going to draw some um, parallels between him and us and just see how God used him how God called him and how God can use us and how God can call us and how God can be at work in our lives. So if we look at the first thing that we see about Gideon is that he was an ordinary man doing an ordinary job. He was a farmer. Basically, that is what Gideon was doing. He didn't come from a great heritage. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a ruler. He wasn't from the richest of families. He wasn't well-educated. He was an ordinary guy, doing an ordinary job, just going about his everyday business. And yet this is the guy that God chose. Because God created him. God knew who he was. God knew the plans that he had for him. None of us are ordinary with God. We may feel that we're ordinary. We may feel that we go through the routine of day after day doing this, that, and the other. But with God, like with Gideon, God sees us. God knows us. God wants to use us and to be at work through us. 
And again, if you look through the Bible, who are some of the people that God called? He called shepherds, he called tax collectors, he called mothers, he called prostitutes. People that you wouldn't expect to be called ordinary people. And there's an encouragement for us. Gideon, this ordinary guy, God called to do extraordinary things. That means that God knows each one of us. And there are things that God wants to do in us and through us. Wonderful news. I can't read the name of this guy because I'm too old. Oswald Chambers, he said, all of God's people are ordinary people who have been made extraordinary by the purpose he has given them. Ordinary people made extraordinary. That is our potential, just like Gideon's. Ordinary people made extraordinary. So Gideon was just an ordinary guy doing an ordinary job. He and other people didn't see him as a leader or someone that God could use. This is a picture of Michael Atherton. Michael Atherton um, is a commentator on Sky Sports cricket. Uh, he used to be a cricketer. We're all familiar with Michael Atherton. Excellent. Deb's like, no idea at all. When Michael Atherton was young, when he was in his late teens, he was given the nickname F.E.C. Feck. And Feck was written on his locker by his teammates. Uh, they have um, a massive um, box trolley thing that they call a coffin that they keep all of their cricket bats and pads and everything in. On his coffin, they wrote the word Feck. On his pads, on his bats, on all his equipment, on everything that uh, Michael Atherton had, they wrote Feck. Feck stands for future England captain. That they saw something in this guy. Something about the way that he was able to play cricket. Actually, it was left-handed, so I'd have to go that way. Something about his skills as a cricketer, but also something about him as a man that made him stand out amongst other people. But actually, there's something about this guy. He has potential. He has leadership qualities. And so from a very young age, he was identified. He is going to be an England captain. And he did end up being an England captain. And he made a good job of it. It was at a time that we got thrashed constantly by the Australians. But he was a good bloke. He was a good England captain. And there are some people that you look at and you immediately identify, do you know there's something about them? Oh, aren't they great? Aren't they gifted? Aren't they wonderful? And we all know those kind of people. And you look at them, you think, oh, I'm nothing like them. There's this sense that you can feel a little bit intimidated or insecure when you compare yourself to them. Who am I? What am I? I remember when um, I was young, I was uh, brought up in a Christian family. My parents took my brother and I to the local Church of England church, and uh, we did all of the, uh, the children's work, and uh, I made it into the youth work until I was about 13. And my best friend in the church was the vicar's son. And uh, there was him, myself, and a couple of others. And we weren't Christians, and we weren't particularly well behaved. And so we gave our youth group leader a pretty tough time. We were a little bit naughty. We were the kind of people that you would probably hate to have in your youth group. But there was a moment when our youth group leader completely lost it with us. And she went mad 
And in front of, I think there must have been about 50 people there, she made the four of us stand up. And she was red in the face and she shouted, you four have completely swear word up this church and this youth work. No one likes you. No one wants you here. Get out. You're going to make nothing of your lives. And uh, sent us out the door. And we like, looked at each other like, she's just sworn at us. We didn't care that she'd sent us out. She's just sworn. Well, actually, she's quite cool. Yeah, great. <laughs> Our parents were absolutely furious. But there was something about that, those words spoken over you, that your life isn't going to amount to anything. And uh, my best mate, the, the vicar's son, um, we made it to a, a, another Christian camp. I don't know how we got onto it. I don't know why we got onto it. We didn't really want to be there, to be fair. It was the camp that I became a Christian, actually. And he didn't. He was still a complete pain in the backside. And there were people at that camp, vicars and adults, that said to his face, you are never going to become a Christian. You are never going to amount to anything. You were just a pain in the bleep. And he got really angry at that. How dare you say that to me? Today... He is the vicar of a church in Islington, doing a wonderful, wonderful ministry for the Lord. Led many people to Jesus, working with uh, immigrants and doing lots of other things. Brilliant. Love what God's doing in and through him. And praise God that actually he did not allow those words spoken over him or me to have an effect. But I think sometimes words spoken over us negatively have a real effect upon us and that we don't see ourselves as we should see ourselves and actually we have this sense of I'm not good enough who am I how could God use me and I think there are people here tonight that have had words spoken, uh, spoken over them that God wants to say no more that isn't who you are that isn't what should define you. What I want to define you is the fact that I love you, I created you, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. That even though you may not see it, even though others may not see it, I see it. And that is what we see with Gideon. God saw it. Nobody else saw it. Gideon didn't see it, but God saw it. God saw his potential and what he could do with him. And the same is true for each one of us here this evening. God sees us. God knows us. God loves us. God wants to use us, to bless us, and to do wonderful things in our lives. You look at Gideon, and he most certainly did not think that he was anything. You know, he comes up with this excuse, look at me, you know, I'm not even in the greatest tribe. I'm actually the least in my family. Who am I to be used? God says, I'm using you, mate. Whatever you think of yourself, whatever others have said, I am using you. And I love that. I love it when people are rejected, when the wrong thing is said over somebody and God comes in and breaks through and says, no. I'm not having that. 
actually, there's a different narrative. There's something different. I am speaking over you. Live in the light of the truth and not what other people have spoken over you or you have thought of yourself. So Gideon didn't see himself as a leader or someone else that God could use. I suspect some of us feel like that. And then thirdly, Gideon and lots of the Israelites were hiding away in fear. They were scared of those that were coming to rob them. We see that actually Gideon is doing what he is doing in the wine press. That actually you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You do it outside. You usually do it in an open space or on a hill because the chaff, is that right? The chaff goes everywhere and you want the wind just to blow it away. You don't want to do it inside. But they were scared. They were hiding away. They were fearful. And I wonder whether there's similarities with us here this evening. I wonder whether some of us are hiding in fear. And that might be for lots of different reasons. I wonder whether there are some of us that are hiding away. And we're hiding from God. Maybe we've messed up. And maybe we are worried about what God thinks of us. How can God love me? How can God love anything about me? I've stuffed up. I've done this. I'm a complete mistake. And we hide away from God. Maybe we're hiding from other people because they have made us feel insecure and rubbish. Maybe we've lost our self-confidence. Maybe we find it hard to be with people because we just don't feel that we're good enough or have that confidence. So we step back and we hide away. Maybe we're hiding away from being used by God because we don't feel good enough. I'm not going to put myself forward because I'm going to mess up. I can't do it. What, what could God do through me? Maybe we're hiding away because there is something debilitating going on in our lives. Maybe there is something really big that we are struggling with. Maybe it's ill health. Maybe it's bereavement. Maybe it's struggle with our mental health. Whether, whether it's some kind of different pressure. And there is this huge thing going on in our lives. And we are trying to cope with that. And life is just really, really difficult and makes us want to hide away. Because there is this huge thing going on with us. Maybe we're hiding away because we've had enough. And feel as though we've got nothing left. We've tried everything. We've done everything, we've explored everything, we have tried. But maybe we've done it in our own strength. And we're tired. And we've got nothing left. Maybe we're hiding away because we've lost sight of God. A little bit like the Israelites, they became really comfortable in their culture. They became really comfortable without him. Didn't need him did things in their own strength, just got on with life, got sucked into everything else that was going on. Maybe we're hiding away because we've been disappointed. and We perceive our prayers haven't been answered. Maybe we're hiding away for a different reason. I don't know. 
We've all done it. And maybe that's, again, where you find yourself this evening just thinking, I can't face life and everything else, and we are hiding away. And this evening, God wants to invite you out of hiding, wants to give you the courage and the confidence to come to him with whatever it is that has hurt you, whatever it is that is difficult in your life. In whatever way you have messed up, God says, I love you, come to me. Let's work this out together. And that's what he did with Gideon. He took him out of that place of hiding. Hudson Taylor, a British missionary to China in the 19th century, he once said, all of God's giants have been weak people. All of those people that have done anything for God have been weak people that have realized I have my limitations, I'm not great. But have entrusted themselves to God. Allow God to lead and to work and to empower and to equip them. Kay Arthur said this. So many times we say that we can't serve God because we aren't whatever is needed. We're not talented enough or smart enough or whatever. But if you're in covenant with Jesus Christ, he is responsible for covering your weakness, for being your strength. He will give you his abilities for your disabilities. It's an absolute truth in that. So how did Gideon do it? How was he transformed and how was he used? Through the presence of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through him. It wasn't in his own strength. It wasn't his idea and his plans. It wasn't that he raised up an army of thousands and thousands of people. But he looked to, good, to God. He entrusted himself to God. He walked with God. And he was filled with the Spirit of God that gave him vision and wisdom and power to fulfill the plans and the purposes that God had for him. In the book of Hebrews, there's a, a chapter or so that talks about some of the great men and women of faith. It's really interesting. Gideon is mentioned in there. It says, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. Whose weakness was turned to strength. I want to encourage us to begin to think about responding to God. I'm going to invite Joel and the worship group to come and join me. And as I said earlier, I have this real sense that there are things that God wants to do in us. That it's not about in our strength, but it's about allowing God through his spirit to fill us to be at work in us, to maybe break some of the chains that have been binding us, to break some of those words or experiences that have been spoken over us or we have been through. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to receive forgiveness, to receive hope and help and a fresh connecting 
and love and empowering that only comes through the Holy Spirit. Andrew Murray said this, when we pray for the Spirit's help, we simply fall down at the Lord's feet in our weakness. There we will find the victory and power that comes from his love.